On this episode of Blue 58, the combine is over and the takes are pouring in. Let's take a look at one player in particular that's showing why the combine is such a fraught proposition to begin with. Then a dive into the particulars for trading for Kansas City defensive end or linebacker D. Ford before we round out the show with a discussion of what the worst Packers offseason could be. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your fearless host, John Meerdink. Excited to be with you here for a post-Combine episode of Blue 58. Combine was good. I enjoyed all the stuff uh, online about it. Uh, was not around the internet a whole lot this weekend. Was doing a little bit of traveling. The trip was good. A little bit colder than I anticipated, but nonetheless, still good to... Uh, to catch up with what was going on with uh, the Combine after we got back. And it looks like it was a lot of fun, as it always is, and it looks like there's a lot of stuff to overreact to and about. And basically, it's just going to skew our opinions for the next month or so until we get to the actual NFL draft, and then everybody gets to evaluate their drafts based on a thing that really didn't matter from six, seven weeks ago. Sound good? Good, because that's how it's going to happen every single year. I don't think I'm at the point where I am prepared to do, you know, position by position reactions to how guys did and how that could affect the Packers. I don't think we're really going to know that for a while. But I think there is one guy in particular that kind of symbolizes what's wrong with the combine and how we process it. Talk about Ja'Kai Polite of Florida. Commonly projected to the Packers prior to the combine. But now it looks like he may be out of the first round altogether. Is that true? Is that false? Is that a good opinion, a bad opinion? Ah, Do we really know? I'm not sure. But there are three things I think we can take a look at here that are of note that apply to Polite particularly and players in general. First, this should reaffirm that all these pre-combine mock drafts and projections and things like that, predictions are absolutely worthless. I said this before the combine, and I'll say it again now. The combine is not necessarily good for predicting future performance of these players, but guys are going to get drafted off the combine anyway, and they're going to see their stock go down because of the combine. Such is the case with Ja'Kai Polite. He was predicted as a possible, even likely pick for the Packers at 12th overall. Now it looks like he might be out of the first round altogether because his workouts were bad. And now those projections and mock drafts are changing as a result. So which was true? Which is true? Well, certainly the, the ones before the mock draft or before the combine seem at the very least misguided because they were dealing with incomplete information. And now people are probably overreacting the other way. He'll have his pro day sometime between now and the draft, and then we'll have to react again. His numbers will probably be better there. He's in a much friendlier environment, and it's a little bit easier for players to perform better in those kinds of environments. What numbers do you trust? I don't know. I don't care. I don't want to spend any time trying to figure that out right now. The point is, now we've got some actual information by which to assess these guys, and things have changed a whole lot. So everything that happened up to this point is pretty much worthless. Second, it's not clear that Ja'Kai Polite understood what was going to happen at the Combine. He told Yahoo Sports and a couple other sources that the Packers and some other teams bashed him 
and went on to explain they only ta- wanted to talk about his bad plays, how he responded to those bad plays, how he prepared to avoid those bad plays, and he wasn't super thrilled about that. He understood that it was their job, but uh, I'm not sure he should have been surprised at all that that happened. I mean, did you think teams were going to come in and tell them tell you how great you were last year and how excited they were to even be talking to you? Obviously not. And he does seem to understand some of that, but come on. And I guess this is part of the process that shows you that, yeah, this is valuable. You can't just go entirely on game tape and stuff like that, even as workouts, because there are things that can change. These interviews can change a little bit. You can learn a little bit more about what these guys are like as people, and that may change your opinion a little bit. Finally, we got to see an interesting subtext of this in action. Not only did he not have a great workout, and not only did he talk about some teams in unflattering manner, an unflattering manner, now you are seeing the anonymous reports come out. People trashing him through the media. These are the anonymous scouts, the um, sources, the agents, things like that, have come out of the woodwork and have told the people that report these kind of things that, oh, there are teams that have taken him off their board entirely. There are people who don't think he's worth a first-round pick. And all that may be true, but it's hard to not take these reports without an enormous, enormous grain of salt. Why? Well, it's really hard to find a true neutral party in all of this. I see three main groups for these reports and or reactions to the reports. First, you've got the scouts or executives or whoever, people involved with teams that are putting this information out out there. They don't have a lot of incentive to be truly neutral here because it can actually pay off for them to put out information that pushes him down draft boards, affects how other teams see him, things like that. That's good for them to get out there because it helps them. Then you've got the people in the media who are bashing him, who are saying, yep, this confirms all the character concerns, yada, 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 that people may have had about him. I don't know if there really was anything like that with this guy in particular, but you know, just there are things like that being said out there. Uh, those people are hard to trust as neutral because they are benefiting from the subsequent outrage that arises from criticizing this guy. Those outrage clicks, those outrage retweets, that outrage engagement in general is a real thing. And coming out and saying that somebody or something sucks is a good way to get that kind of engagement. It's kind of an annoying way to be if you're going to be in the media, but there are a lot of people who have made a good living doing that for a long time, so it's not going to go away. But we can't be conscious that it's out there. Then you've got the third group of people who are coming out and praising and or defending Ja'Kai Polite and or other any other person who's in this situation because he won't be the only one who goes through this kind of car wash situation over the course of this draft process. These people come out and defend him because then they get to be the voice of reason, the white knight defending Ja'Kai Polite, being like, oh, they're just trying to slander him. You get to play the good guy. You benefit too. So really, it's hard to sort through all this stuff and say, this is the true opinion. This is what's true about Ja'Kai Polite. Because everybody's got 
something coming their way for what they're saying. They are benefiting from something going on here. Take everything that you read with a grain of salt because everybody's got an angle of some kind. There are sites out there that, you know, put a pretty neutral perspective out there. But even then, they're evaluating this guy one way or another. They're evaluating all players one way or another. And they stand to benefit from their perspective. Always ask who benefits. Speaking of edge rushing types, it was a busy couple days for the franchise tag. Many of them going to those edge rushers who would have otherwise hit the market. One such player is D. Ford of the Kansas City Chiefs, who has apparently been franchised by the Chiefs, though they are apparently also willing to trade him. And we have entered a portion of the NFL calendar, which Gary and I are going to dub, it's nice to want things season. Because apparently the word on the street is that the Chiefs want at least a second round pick for D. Ford. Well, of course they do. It is nice to want things. Everybody's got something they want at this time of the year. I remember a year ago we were talking about Morgan Burnett and how he wanted to average, I think it was $8 million a year in his new contract. Well, good. It's nice to want things. You know, I would like a brand new car right now. We could use one. Both of our cars kind of need to be replaced. I kind of would like to have one. In fact, I would say I want to have one. And it is nice to want things. All that out of the way, the real question, whether or not the Chiefs get a second-round pick or more for D. Ford, as far as our perspective here, is whether or not the Packers should trade for him. The Packers need help on the edge. They've got plenty of draft picks. They've got the cap space to fit him in. They could probably sign him to a longer-term deal. So let's ask her two questions. What are you getting, and what's it going to cost you? D. Ford is 27 years old. He's had 10 or more sacks in two of the last three seasons. His production ratio, the number we cite that kind of measures a guy's overall impact getting behind the line of scrimmage, uh, basically sacks plus tackles for loss divided by the amount of games played, is 1.46. And any number over one is considered pretty good. 1.46 would be really good. He's been very productive over the last two, three years. However, he did miss 10 games in 2017 with a variety of injuries, including a back injury, which is always a little bit scary for anybody who's playing in the front seven. And there are some concerns over whether the success that he had in 2018 is going to be sustainable or whether that was just a contract year type situation. Then you've got the question of cost. What's it going to cost you? I'm on record as saying that trades are a tricky wicket for me because I don't like paying twice for a particular player. And when you trade for a guy, you got to trade to bring him in, and then you've got to sign him for a longer-term deal. And if the Packers are going to sign him, it is going to take a, a premium contract because that's just what Ed Rushers get. I think he's probably a better bet than a guy like Nick Perry. He's been successful for longer than Perry was. Even with his 2017 season in there, he's been productive over the uh, the early portion of his career. So from a contract perspective, maybe not a super big deal. The trade perspective is interesting, and I think we've got a good case study here in Dante Fowler. 
He was traded from the Jacksonville Jaguars to the Los Angeles Rams midseason last year for a 2019 third-round pick and a 2020 fifth-round pick. There are some additional complications in there that aren't worth exploring related to compensatory picks and which ones are higher. That's not really important. The idea basically is they gave up a third this year and a fifth next year to get Dante Fowler. And he, too, was in the last year of a contract and looked to be something of a rental player. Using that trade as a guideline, I would start as something, as trading something like a third this year and maybe a fourth next year, or maybe a third next year and a fourth the year after that, or some combination of things similar to that, if I thought I could get Ford re-signed. I'd hesitate to do it too, just because he's not a premium, premium pass rusher, but if you twisted my arm and said it's a two, just one second round pick, or a three, and a four, I I could probably come down on a two. So the trade and the cost is not necessarily prohibitive to me. I I wouldn't rule it out. But I think there's a stronger case to be made for trading for D Ford or any pass rusher that comes down to evaluation. I think it's worth pursuing these free agent or trade target pass rushers because I think you could make a case that pass rushers could be more difficult to find in the draft than quarterbacks. As the league is currently constructed and as college football currently operates, I think it's a lot easier to be a fake good edge rusher than a fake good quarterback. What do I mean by fake good? Uh, The guy who puts up big gaudy stats for one year, two years, for or using perhaps I guess is the better description a style of play that is not necessarily sustainable in the NFL quarterbacks I think we've gotten largely gotten rid of the fake good quarterback the NFL has become a lot more willing to play to a young quarterback's strengths than try to fit him into a pro style system And as a result, I don't think there's a system quarterback in college anymore. I think everybody's gotten too smart for that. They've figured out that the way that a guy plays in college is not necessarily how he's going to play in the NFL. So the quarterbacks that are considered good prospects in the NFL now are much more, oh, I would say much more evaluated based on the tangible aspects, you know, arm strength, uh, the types of throws they can make, uh, accuracy, things like that, than production. It used to be guys would just put up big college numbers, and that would be a guy who gets considered in the NFL. Not always the case, but I think you understand what I mean. At edge rusher, at defensive end, I think it's still a lot easier to be, quote-unquote, fake good in college than it is for quarterbacks. Because it's so much more dependent on being physically overpowering. I'm not saying that this is an example of a guy who was fake good. But Marcus Davenport, last year's Saints first round pick, is a good example of this kind of player. A physical marvel. Big, strong, tall, fast. Explosive in every aspect. And he won a lot in college because of that. He was just a better athlete than everybody else. 
But that game doesn't necessarily translate to the NFL. Chances are, over the course of his college career, he might have faced one tackle, maybe two, that were going to play in the NFL. It's hard to get a good read on guys for that reason. There's a big difference between the guys on the edge who are physically capable of playing in the NFL and their competition. A much bigger edge or a much bigger difference between the skill of a quarterback and their competition. There are so many more factors that go into being a good quarterback than there is that go that than there are that go into a, being a good college defensive end. And for that reason, I think it's okay to explore the idea, whether it's D Ford or somebody else, of giving up draft picks for edge rushers. I don't know if a trade for D Ford is necessarily a good ROI for your draft picks, but if you can get something that's approaching a proven commodity. I think it's worth doing. And that's why I'm fairly open to the idea of the Packers spending in the offseason on the edge. And that leads me to the third topic I wanted to talk about on this episode. I've seen a a, a new archetype of post that's been floating around for the last couple of years, but I've seen a lot of this version of post this offseason. It's the offseason checklist. Everybody goes through and says these are the things the Packers need to do or, or any team um, to have a good offseason. But I would like to do exactly the opposite. Let's look at what the Packers could do to have a bad offseason because that, I think, gives us an idea of what the Packers should do instead. What would be a bad thing the Packers could do at pretty much every position this offseason? Real quick, let's whip through all the positions. Well, Not all of them. We're not going to talk about quarterback, and we're not going to talk about special teams. Special teams is a little bit of a crapshoot, and I'm not sure the Packers have a ton of strategy to deal with in the offseason as it pertains to their specialists. Plus, it's kind of boring anyway. Quarterback, it seems like the Packers are relatively set, too. So let's, let's pass by those position groups. But running back, I think a big... No, no, for the Packers this offseason is failing to add depth. They've got Jamal Williams. They've got Aaron Jones. Fine players, both of them, Aaron Jones in particular. But it would be a big problem if the Packers failed to add depth there because I think they need at least one more running back who can be on the 53-man roster as a running back, not just a, a special teams player. At various points last season, the Packers were down to just two real running backs. They always had, I think they always had, three players at the position on the roster. But for a lot of the season, whether it was Darius Jackson or any of these other, you know, special teams oriented guys, there was a running back on the roster who was pretty much only going to play special teams. I don't think the Packers can do that next year, and I don't think they should. I think 2016 should have showed the Packers that going into a season without at three running backs is a bad idea. And uh, they want to avoid that if they can't. 2015, I think, is what I'm, I'm trying to get to. La- Eddie Lacy's last season in Green Bay, whenever that was. Feels like ancient history already. Moving on. Wide receiver, there's an obvious thing the Packers should avoid here, too. Letting Geronimo Allison walk. Other than Devontae Adams, he is the only receiver on the roster that has shown that he can regularly do NFL caliber wide receiver things. Marquez Valdez Scantling and Equinemius St. Brown both had reasonably good 
rookie seasons. But I think both of them benefited from not having to play like actual NFL receivers. And I mean by that, not having to consistently face the focus of an NFL defense, not have to uh, succeed in the unscripted portion of plays, things like that. They couldn't, they, they, despite their success, they, their success came in ways that you wonder if anybody with the same physical tools couldn't have done that. As great as Marquez Valdez-Scantling was, a lot of the things that he did basically just came down to being faster than everybody else. Not that that's a bad thing, but that's not being fast is not a skill set. I think that's what I'm trying to land on. Furthermore, Geronimo Allison was doing pretty well last year before he got his variety of injuries. He was on pace for 76 catches, just over 1,100 yards and eight touchdowns. May not have held that pace, sure, but he was playing pretty well. I think it is a good idea to give him another shot and just see what he can do. At the very least, you carry him through the offseason, and if you're feeling pretty good about the other receivers on your roster, cut him loose then. Chances are the Packers aren't going to draft a receiver early enough to make him completely useless on the roster. And anybody you draft in the fourth, fifth round or later is probably not going to be as good as Geronimo Allison is right now. You might as well take another look at him this offseason and into training camp. At tight end, I think it would be a big mistake for the Packers to continue to stay old. By that, I mean standing pat with guys like Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis without adding anybody new, Rob Tanyan notwithstanding. I think Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis are fine. I would like to see both of them come back. I think we're going to get Mar- or I think we're going to get Jimmy Graham back for sure. Comments by Brian Gutekunst seem to indicate that. I would be in favor of bringing Mercedes Lewis or another experienced blocking tight end back for the Packers as well. But I don't think they can afford to just have those guys come back and say, "Yep, that's the top end of our tight end depth chart." And call it good. I think they need to add somebody into the mix, whether that's in the draft or through free agency, that could compete at the top end. Because if the top end of that position group stays old, for the fourth offseason in a row next year, we're going to be looking at more tight end questions. And I'm tired of talking about tight ends every offseason. On the offensive line, they need to look at right guard. And it would be a big failure for the Packers to commit to a player at guard who can't play right away. The Packers need depth of tackle. That's been the case for a couple years now. Nobody's surprised there. But they need a guard even more. And I don't think this is a development situation. This is a we-need-one situation, preferably a guy who could start pretty early on. I think Byron Bell or Justin McRae or Alex Light could get you through a couple games at the start of the season, but they need bodies at guard. And they need one who can play sooner rather than later. You're not going to find another Quentin Nelson. They don't make a lot of those. But they do need a guy who can come in and contribute early on. Switching over the defensive side of the ball, I think it would be a mistake for the Packers to avoid strengthening the strength that is their defensive line. It's okay to get better where you're already good. You should never hesitate to add good players at positions where you already have good players because depth, especially at a position like defensive line, can evaporate very quickly. Packers are good on the defensive line. They've got Kenny Clark. Daniels, Dean Lowry, even some of the young guys were coming along last year. 
but they can also add some depth there. Whether it's in the middle of the draft, through free agency, guys who can do useful things for you, even a guy like Muhammad Wilkerson, it shouldn't be out of the question to add more guys at defensive line. In fact, I think it would be a mistake not to do so. On the edge, things get interesting. Because like I said, I think the Packers need to spend here and I think they're going to spend here. But what could lead to a bad offseason for the Packers is betting big on the wrong free agent. Top-end edge rushers are going to be expensive. And it's reasonably certain that the Packers are going to have to spend big to get one of those free agent edge rushers. I think it's also a reasonable certainty that at least one or probably more of these high-end free agent edge rushers are going to be a bust. It's just not going to work out for whoever signs them. The trick is to not pick the wrong one. And I don't know who that is, but picking the wrong one would sure be a big problem for the Packers because that limits your flexibility going forward. Seems pretty obvious, sure, but that's the flip side of playing with free agents, I think. At linebacker, it would be a mistake for the Packers to not add any speed on the inside. Oren Burks may yet make a jump. He may become a better player than he was as a rookie in 2018, but it never hurts to hedge your bets a little bit. And the Packers, as a rule, I think need to just get faster at inside linebacker. They haven't prioritized speed there for a long time, and I think it shows. Blake Martinez is good to very good. Antonio Morrison is exactly what he is. But other, but both of those guys are fairly slow. And other than Oren Burks, you don't have anybody who can really play regularly on the inside. Why don't you try to add a little bit of something there? And at the very least, if you're going to add one attribute, add some speed. Shifting to the backfield now of the defense, at corner, I think it's a big mistake for the Packers to get comfortable with the depth that they have at corner. Now, I think the Packers have more depth at cornerback than a lot of people give them credit for. They've got three guys who can play at a fairly high level right now. Two for sure. Kevin King, when healthy, is very good. Jair Alexander is even better. Josh Jackson, you know, had his problems in 2018, but I think as a, a second-year player, he'll be even better. And if you go down the list, Tremont Williams is still there. If you bring back Bashad Breland, you're doing pretty well. I think, though, it's a mistake to get comfortable with the players that you have at corner. I think they need to retain Bashad Breland and probably add another person who's capable of being your number four or even number three cornerback by the end of the season. Whether that's a free agent, a rookie, an undrafted free agent, doesn't really matter. You just need another one. Shouldn't get comfortable with the depth they have at cornerback. And getting comfortable is a big mistake at just about every position. Finally, I think it would contribute towards the Packers having a very bad offseason if they decide that they want to spend at the top of the safety market. More than any offseason I can remember recently, there is one position group that seems absolutely loaded in free agency, and that is the safety group. We've talked about this a little bit in the past. There are more good safeties hitting the free agent market this year than just about any position group in any offseason I can remember in the relatively recent past. And for that reason, since the market is so flush, you shouldn't get into a bidding war at the top end of the market. 
as good as a lot of these guys are, I'm not sure any of them are going to fix what ails the Packers' defense long term. So I think what the Packers need to do is shoot for what I'm calling a bridge plus player. A bridge player is going to get the Packers between where they are now and where they want to be. They want a young contributor. They want like the 2015-2016 version of Ha Ha Clinton Dix back there at some point. They don't have him on the roster right now, and this draft may not be the offseason to get one. So you need a guy who's maybe a little bit better than the one-year bridge player, maybe a guy who can play one or two years to get you to where you really want to be while you ride out the bumps. And this is a situation where you can use free agency to get yourself out of where you are now and get you a little bit of flexibility to figure things out later this year or into next year. Just released today, Eric Weddle is as steady as they come. He could be that kind of player. I'm not saying that's the guy they need to get, but he's better probably than any safety they have on the roster right now, and he'll help them figure things out. He or a guy like him could help them figure things out until they can get a guy they're more comfortable with long term. It's a thought. All this taken together, I think, paints a few areas where the Packers have some significant vulnerabilities and... I have some opportunities to, I guess, make some poor decisions. Broadly speaking, I think this uh, the potential pitfalls for the Packers come down to counting too much on development and counting too much on one avenue of talent acquisitions to fix things for you. If you say we need to draft a guy to fix position X... You should also be exploring ways to back up that decision with signing free agent player Y. Because I don't think any one of the positions where the Packers have significant needs can be filled necessarily by just one guy, outside of maybe running back. They should be looking to hedge their bets at every possible circumstance. And getting comfortable, I guess, is the real bottom line here as to things that could really derail the Packers this offseason. They shouldn't be comfortable anywhere. The closest things come to being comfortable is quarterback. And even then, there's probably some work the Packers could do. While I've got you here, I want to direct your attention to our Patreon. Patreon.com slash the power sweep. I bring it up because we dropped some content on there today that is exclusive for our Patreon supporters. And $1 per month gets you access to that content. And we're trying to figure out some ways we can throw a little bit more stuff up there, give you a little bit of added value for supporting us in that area. What we put up today is a behind-the-scenes look at a column we didn't end up running from earlier this offseason. I won't give away what exactly it is if you're a Patreon supporter. You get a look at it already or you've gotten a look at it already. If you're not, I'll leave it up to you whether you want to see what it is. But for $1 a month, you do get to see it. And you'll see everything that we post um, this month, next month, and every month. We don't do tiers on our Patreon. We may do that at some point in the future. But for right now, $1 gets you access to everything that we do there. Why is a dollar important? Well, $1 per month adds up to $12 per year. And $12 is the amount that it costs to host our podcast for one month. Hope you follow that. That's a little bit of a roundabout way of exploring it. But if you become a $1 per month patron, you will offset in short one month of hosting our podcast. That's pretty cool. The added benefit to me, I guess, of 
seeing people support us on Patreon is that it shows us that you value what we do and you want to see more of it. And it's extremely motivating to see that money clear every month and be like, wow, more people really care about what we're doing. That's pretty cool. And we've got some cool things coming up. Gary is sending me screenshots of a cool post that he's working on right now that I think you're really going to like just for the blog, not for Patreon. But supporting us in this way helps us stay on top of doing all that stuff in addition to all the other things that we've got going on in our our life right now. So if you've been on the fence, that's I, I understand. I'm just trying to communicate what it does for us when you choose to support, and it means a lot to me. So check out the content we've got up there right now if you're a Patreon supporter already. If you're not, consider it, and we will continue to hopefully give you more reasons to consider that in the relatively near future. Sound good? Good. That's all I've got for you on this episode. You can find us, as you always do, at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and on Twitter and via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. I have seen your emails. I will respond to them. You know who you are. Support us as you have been so kind at already doing at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. And on Teespring, if you'd like to wear your support, click the shop link at thepowersweep.com to find your way there. And as always, leave us a review on iTunes. It is the freest and easiest way to support the show, and it helps more people find us. Great stuff there. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us, any thoughts that you give us, no matter how you share them, helps us make this entire operation better and helps all of us become Smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58. Hey!